Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Baker's Comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. Your host, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome to... What are we doing today? A show. Oh, yeah, we're carrying on talking about um, comic book characters that are about to become television shows. Yeah. Hey, come aboard. We're joining you on the bandwagon. (laughs) Bandwagon jumping. Hey, I saw a Marvel movie this week. So did I. Did you? Yeah. Did we see the same one? No. Oh, because I saw a pretty underrated Marvel movie that no one seems to like. Okay. I saw one heavily controversial because of its treatment of women. Right. You want to know what it was? Go on. Punisher War Journal. Okay. By treatment of women, I mean Julie Benz was in it. Right. Kind of. If she didn't really do anything, she just was kind of there. Okay. But it was good. Alright. I actually quite enjoyed it. Dominic West's in it as Jigsaw. Okay. He's very camp. It's like he's wandered in off the set of Batman. Right. The 1960s one. And he's accidentally wandered into a Charles Bronson or Sam Peckinpah movie. Okay. And there's this this wacky juxtaposition of Cesar Romero wandering into a Sam Peckinpah film. Was Was it John Travolta Jigsaw in the other one? No, John Travolta's not Jigsaw in the first one, but he's in it. Right, But he isn't Jigsaw. I actually quite enjoyed it. Oh, I've not seen it. Alright, oh, well, which Marvel movie did you see? I watched Captain America again. The first one? Yeah. When did you watch that? On Netflix. Who with? Buffalo Lizards. Alright, oh, I thought you watched it here. No. Without me? No. Oh. You know what I noticed about it? What did you notice about it? There's a lot of CG that doesn't look like it fits, but because it's it's kind of a ridiculous film anyway, it works. I love Captain America. Because it, it is ridiculous. Oh, yeah, it's painfully ridiculous. Captain America's origin is ridiculous. And the, the big speedy cars and the submarine. And yeah, but that's why I love it. It's yeah. an unabashed comic movie. And I think it's kind of the first time Marvel did an unabashed comic book movie. They tried, tried to grind, grind, ground Iron Man in reality, didn't they? Yeah. And they kind of tried to do that with The Incredible Hulk as well, a little bit. Mm-hmm. But by the time they got to Captain America, the first Avenger, they were like, screw this, we're making a comic book movie. And they did. Yeah. And I think that's why I love it. Well, after watching Agent Carter, I wanted to watch Captain America again. You, no, you wanted to watch Hayley Atwell. She's barely in it. Again. She's in it. A bit. A bit, yeah. Yeah. Did you not spot Jenna Louise Coleman? I did, yeah. As Bucky's girlfriend? Yeah. So that means that if you want to tie it together, the Doctor... Right. took her back in time to see the Stark Expo to see the Stark Expo yeah and he was just off camera doing some other stuff ok yeah. that's the story isn't it what it was is. the doctor doing why, why Clara was uh, knocking boots with Bucky yeah I think that would be quite good so yeah they're the two Marvel movies we watched this week mm-hmm. why are there more? Not, none that are important alright ok was there Spider-Man in one? Spider-Man wasn't in Punisher War Journal was he in Captain America? Uh, he wasn't in Captain America oh, and he's not in 
What was the other one? Was was there any uh, Twitter backlash on Captain America's treatment of women? I don't know. Do you think anyone... Given that it was the 40s. think anyone quit Twitter because of the backlash? Yeah, he says he didn't. Uh, he says he just quit because it's Twitter. Okay. Do you blame him? Yeah. <laughs> oh, topical gags that aren't funny two weeks later when the show comes out. You spend seven years making a show about a strong, independent woman, and then you get criticised for being a misogynist? Yeah, I, I just think they must have been watching a different film to me. It's the only thing I can assume. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yes, should we should we do an email? We should do an we email. We should talk about... Should we talk about the email? Should I think so. not talk about the government? Let's not talk about the government under any circumstances. Uh, first email, Franks and Beans, is from Chris and Cindy Franklin. Cindy, not the. Okay. I think we've established that. Yeah. Isn't that a Weezer album, Frank and Beans? It's Pork and Beans. Pork and Beans, that was it. But he's not called Pork Castle. Is he not? He's, he's not Pork Castle. <laughs> Spider Ham, Pork <laughs> Castle. <laughs> Team up to sow the seeds of Bacon's Day. Written by Morrissey. Yeah. <laughs> Written by Morrissey. Vegetarian propaganda. <laughs> Death for no reason. Death for no reason is murder. Why are you doing this? <laughs> Translated, this is for no reason. Because I like beans and bacon. Boom. That was, that was my punisher as, as Porky, whatever his name was. Porkins. From, uh, from Star Wars. <laughs> Porkins was in it. <laughs> and they go to the drive-in and watch Porky's. <laughs> Dictated by Cindy. Hello, Leyland. Hello, Christopher. Ah, the Punisher. I once had a Punisher poster on my wall and regularly read Punisher War Journal, mostly for the Jim Lee art, I will admit. My sister's first husband was a huge fan of the character and had, at one point, every appearance of him. Comics which I drooled over and he actually let me read. Very cool. Did he have the holy grail of comic books? (laughs) Amazing Spider-Man 129. He says every appearance. Wow, that's pretty cool. And when he got out the Holy Grail of comic books, did uh, did did, did Chris he say Holy Grail? <laughs> Holy Grail of comic books. Did his sister go? I think it's kind of cute. You think that that conversation from Coyote Ugly actually happened in the Franklin household? I don't. See, what he doesn't say is that it was the issue or the first print or not in a trade paperback. No, in Coyote Ugly, it's the Holy Grail of comic books. You didn't say it. The Holy Grail of comic books. <laughs> Dear Australian listeners, I'm sorry. <laughs> Chris Dear every other listener, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Chris continues, as my taste changed and Marvel's oversaturation of the character increased, I grew apart from the Punisher. And I must say I have no true opinion on him now. I don't hate him, but I don't like him either. One thing I will say about him is that I've always struggled with the morally upright Marvel hero's interaction with him. Like the Spider-Man story you covered. Maybe this all goes back to my first exposure to the character being those spectacular Spider-Man issues by Bill Mantler where he was shooting at litterbugs and jaywalkers. Hard to paint that guy as any kind of hero, anti or otherwise. I also have a hard time with Lobo in the DC Universe. There's no way Superman would put up with that guy. He killed his whole planet. He's worse than Doomsday. I don't see those two teaming up. I always thought Lobo was a jackass. Mm. Do you read enough Lobo to have an opinion? No. Okay. Wasn't he created by Alan Grant? Yeah, I think, yeah, he was created as Alan Grant as a parody, wasn't he? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, like Ambush Bug. And then he, he didn't, he... 
And then, he, he became the thing he was parodying. He's, he is the DC Deadpool. Yeah, in many ways. Mm. Very true. Having said all that, continues Christopher, I really enjoyed your episode and really should reread the Grant Zek mini. I'm a sucker for anything written by Chuck Dixon, even if Ramita Jr. is drawing it. Sorry, I didn't like his style at this point either, but I do admit he worked much better on gritty comics like The Punisher than on, say, Spidey or The X-Men. Congratulations to Michael on the very good news. As I said, the last two times you guys announced the show was ending, I'll hate to see it come to a close. But this is a very exciting new chapter in Michael's life, and as one artist to another, I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you very much. Chris. What, what, what does he mean, two times? We've not announced the show's leaving twice before, have we? Retcons. <laughs> Alright, so <laughs> the show has been retconned, but I'm unaware of it, because yeah. it's like a crisis thing. Yeah. So the episodes that Chris has heard are completely different to the ones we actually record. They never actually... Although they're out there, they never actually happen. <laughs> All right. You can listen enough. to them anytime you want, but they never happen. They never happen. No. All right. And you're a liar and a communist, if you say otherwise. <laughs> Our next email is from Jason Trenish at the Punisher War Podcast. Hey, guys. Enjoying the coverage of the Punisher comics for the first story. Uh, Moses Magnum always got left in something that should kill him. Only time that didn't happen was in a 90s Deathlock story. His last appearance was in Dark Wolverine as part of a bunch of grade Z villains for Dakin to hunt down so he'd look better in the press. Moses Magnum was literally the biggest name there because I think he was the only one of them to ever fight the Avengers. And it looks like the best actual truthful Daily Bugle headline about Spider-Man in the paper would be Spider-Man Massive Jerk. I doubt the Daily Bugle keep up bad-mouthing a guy who's arrogant and a prick at times, or at least in a manner that would make it any more than the sort of stories you get on celebrities. The disregard for human life Spidey has in this story is a little bit weird. Perhaps that's why Punisher has teamed up with Wolverine a lot, as the Punisher as Wolverine doesn't really give a crap. I did laugh at Frank Castle offing Joey from Friends. Frankly, I've mused what all those New York City-based shows would be like in the Marvel Universe. Probably more amusing. And the Punisher off to them is a valid ending. Or they died in an alien invasion, as they happen every other day in New York City. Frankly, not sure why these stories were never used as a Punisher movie, as it sounds perfect for one. Or even as just a scene in one. Looking forward to part two. Really hope it does involve Garth Ennis' first issue on the book, and has ditching the previous take as a mystically powered out for redemption Punisher. That one was a little bit weird. Jason Trenner. Thank you, Jason, for emailing it. Justin Elliott has also emailed in off Pilgrims and Punishers. Hello, lovely podcasters. Hello, Justin. Just wanted to check in on your most recent episode. Scott Pilgrim is a series I had limited interest in, mostly because the movie wasn't fantastic, so I hadn't pursued this series. But this is why I listened to this show. Two blokes from the North spoke so lovingly about these books and described them so well that this is now high on my list to read. Michael's interlude during the email section was certainly enlightening, and I think he expressed a trend that both of the big boys are following, which is that they are so focused on using the next hot creator that they don't let anyone stay on a book long enough to make any large contribution. Even Snyder's run on Batman is the exception that proves the rule. With a single creative team focused on a project for a decent run, the new 52 Batman has been one of the few lights in the sea of darkness that is DC Comics today. Not that Marvel are without fault in this. Gone are the days of a Clermont-esque saga run on a single book. Marvel Now and all new Marvel Now are both heralded as the best characters, the best creators. Only in this day and age there are more great creators than books to put them on. So you get a revolving door of teams that give most books a disjointed feel. I have nothing to say about Superman Ulysses, you two said it all, and at this point we would all just seem mean to continue to berate it. Although I will admit that when I first saw the title Superman vs. That Poncy Blonde Dude, I thought you may have been talking about Johns himself. 
On to Mr. Castle, Frank, not Rick. I've never been one for the Punisher myself. I prefer my comics to be brighter and a bit more cheerful. And while I certainly understand the appeal of the character, I've never been one for the vengeance side of the Force. With that in mind, I don't really see the need to have him interact with the Marvel Universe as a whole, give him his own Max series and be done with it. Having him in crossovers and line-wide events feels a little like having a miniature poodle in a pack of attack dogs. Sure, it's technically right, but it just feels wrong. My two cents on the goings-on in the world of Leyland. Till the next email, keep up the fine show, gents, because we love a little bit of self-aggrandizing. And Gabrielle Jimenez has emailed in. Gabrielle's on a tour. Yeah. I like this. Hello, Leylands. Hoping it will tickle your fancy. I write this while at work, looking to make a bit of downtime into something productive. I like how you guys switch things up on us, your faithful audience. It keeps us on our toes, doesn't let us fall into complacence. It's a treat seeing what a new episode will bring, and this time you brought us a doozy, Scott Pilgrim. I admit I've only read the first volume of the series, so I'm not very knowledgeable on the subject matter, but having heard your reviews and thoughts on the issues, I do almost feel like I have experienced the books. Fine job on the summaries, not only going over plot points, but, more importantly, also the emotional beats and the humour. I've mentioned it before, and I will again, but the joy in listening to you guys is how you project all the enjoyment you get from reading whatever you're covering. Bang up job, boys. Michael episodes are particularly interesting because one doesn't know what one will get. Andy's style tends to be a bit more structured, and a fine structure it is, whilst with Mike there usually is much more experimentation. I liked how segments were separated with songs between issues. I enjoyed the songs a lot and really dug some of them. I don't know if Michael has more time than Andy to edit shows, but I do get a feeling he goes a bit further to give his own touch to them. Enough gushing, I need to get going now. Looking forward to the next episode. Catch you later, dudes. P.S. My hearing's back, so all is good. <laughs> I like how we left the email last week on a bit of a cliffhanger yeah, yeah. regarding Gabriel's uh, email. So, Well, in regards to editing... You do have more time than me. I just don't use it. Yeah. Yeah. When do you edit? Like the night before. Yeah. <laughs> and there's me chomping at the bit and saying stuff like, yeah, you know, I really like to proof listen to these before they go up. There is one you've done. I don't remember I didn't have time to listen to. Yeah. You finished it. It was encoding overnight on the Wednesday when, night yeah. that it went up on the Thursday morning. You just <laughs> left it MP3 in overnight when you went to bed, and I just had to post it. Yeah. So I had, so there is one episode of the show I've never listened to. Really? Yeah. And you don't know which one it is? I know, they have no idea. It must be one you edited. Yeah, yeah. So that would narrow it down a tad, but yeah, you're right, I have no idea. <laughs> we swore all the way through it. It was horrendous. We kept tripping all over ourselves. You got all political. I know, yeah. It was just a cluster <laughs> f- of an episode. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't that describe all of them? <laughs> Our next email is Patrick Kokora from Metro Detroit. Michael, here is some love for your well-edited, well-dissected and fun presentation of Scott Pilgrim. That series is a personal favourite of mine, not so much for the comic, although I do enjoy it, but for the revelry in the music. Plumtree was one of those bands I secretly loved and hid from my friends. My circle of friends and I glommed onto bands like the Suicide Machines, the Rollins Band and the Melvins Post-Punk. In secret, I would listen to cute power-pop Canadian Plumtree. <laughs> the comic is a huge slice of nostalgia cake for me, but also one of the few literary works, both in terms of prose or sequential art, that causes me to laugh out loud. Great soundtrack, 
great comic and great episode. There you go. You Thank can you have very that one. much. See, you just didn't wait long enough for the true, emails to true. come in. They're all coming in. They're all coming in now. Also, thanks for taking the piss out of this Superman comic and confirming what I already feared about them. You saved me from reading them, and I'm sure the two hours I spent listening brought me more joy than they would have. Behind, I know, but eager to tear into the Punisher shows on the long runs this weekend. Well, thank you, Patrick, for emailing in. We're glad to have saved you some money and time regarding Superman. Michael Staley emailed in, don't punish me. Hey guys, seems like every time I write, you've taught me more about a character I wasn't overly knowledgeable about. Previously it was Captain Britain, and now it's the Punisher. Obviously I'm familiar with his backstory, and I've seen some of his guest appearances, as well as the Thomas Jane movie, but I've never had much interest in his solo books. However, the stories you guys shared really opened my eyes to him, and I definitely want to check out some of the books you mentioned. Thanks for making me spend more money. How about some reimbursement. Just kidding. Can't wait for the next episode, Mike Staley, host of the Invincible Ironcast Classics Edition. And because we have not had somebody plug their own show this week, mm-hmm. that seems like a good place to go out into a commercial break. Are you a geek looking for love? Do you long to find discussion on that special comic, TV episode, movie, or toy that's just right for you? Then why not try Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast? Chris and Cindy Franklin can match you with that certain something to satisfy your genre-related longings, no matter the subject. Superheroes. But Robin's like, that was really nice of you, Batman. He's like, I had the room loaded with kryptonite. I can turn it on at any moment. <laughs> and here's the thing. It's, you're talking about, now think about this. It's an apartment building owned by Batman. Do you not think that Batman doesn't have their place but Sci-fi. I don't know. You talk about being a sex symbol and stuff like that. I mean, I know a lot of girls thought, you know, William Shatner was it, but I had a, the biggest crush on George Takai. I, 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 I did. <laughs> I thought, you know. Sorry about that. Horror. And then when we see the Wolfman for the first time, he's in... I don't know, we don't A long sleeve shirt, shirt and a dark pair of pants. pants with a belt. With a, with belt. a belt, that's right. <laughs> and his shirt's buttoned up all the way, too. Yeah, yeah. And his so, arms. So after he changes into this ferocious beast who can't talk and doesn't seem to be able to think beyond just attacking things. He, he has lots of dexterity. He went through his closet and... Action figures. I actually had all the figures and all the accessories up to a certain point. I really, literally did collect them all, you know. Including Shira. I was going to get to that, but... Chris and Cindy have found their own happiness through discussions like this. I could be friends with him. I could be down with this version of the ultra-humanoid. You could be friends with the dude who put his brain inside a mutated albino ape. I married you! <laughs> oh. If you're tired of searching for geek love, then sign up with Supermates for free at supermatescomic.blogspot.com or on iTunes. What does the wholesome, fun-loving Supergirl have in common with the chain-smoking, foul-mouthed Jessica Jones? Not a lot on the face of it. However, 
However, in addition to having episodes of this show dedicated to them, they also have upcoming television shows. Melissa Benoist has been cast as Supergirl Kara Zor-El in a CBS television series slated to debut in September of 2015, although as yet there is no word if this show will cross over into the other DC television series The Flash or Arrow. The show will be centred around the more popular version of the character, the one that is Superman's cousin. According to Action Comics issue 252, cover dated May 1959, Kara was part of a portion of Krypton that was miraculously thrown free when the planet exploded. They survived, for a time, but kryptonite poisoning polluted the Earth and decked out in a suit like his, Kara was sent to Earth to join Superman, whose exploits these Kryptonians had been watching through their super space telescope. Over time, Supergirl became a rich and interesting character before sacrificing her life for the greater good in Crisis on Infinite Earths, issue 7, cover dated October 1985. But she's not the only Supergirl. One thing that Dan DiDio and his stablemates at DC Comics seem to be keen to forget is that there was another Supergirl who roamed the DC Universe for a good long time. One that successfully carved out her own identity and had a long-running series all to herself. She made her debut in Superman issue 16 in April 1988 before emerging full in a three-part story, The Saga of Supergirl, running through Superman issue 21, Adventures of Superman 444, and Superman issue 22, all from September 1988. In this post-crisis version of the legend, Supergirl wasn't Superman's cousin, nor was she Kryptonian. Rather, she was a man-made life form, a synthetic piece of protoplasm created by the Lex Luthor of a pocket universe. Nicknamed Matrix and implanted with Lana Lang's memories, this version of Supergirl became an integral part of the post-crisis Superman storyline. Despite her popularity, she was the last of the Superman family to get her own series, which debuted in September of 1996. Written by Peter David and drawn by Gary Frank and Leonard Kirk, this series reveled in the long-form storytelling of the comics medium, with David telling a 50-issue storyline detailing how Linda Danvers, a ne'er-do-well who had fallen in with the wrong crowd, was to be sacrificed by her John Constantina-like boyfriend named Buzz to a satanic cult. The Matrix life form healed Linda's body and merged with her, and she became an Earth Angel, fighting demons and dark gods in an effort to redeem Linda's corrupt soul. When this storyline came to an end, with an angelic figure called Kara helping Linda defeat a vampire called Carnivore, the Matrix was ripped away and Supergirl suffered a power reduction and started looking for the lost Matrix. Then David began a 20-issue storyline that had Linda ultimately take back her powers and become Supergirl properly again, although she now wore the outfit popularised in the Superman animated series of the late 90s. This consists of a white top with the S-shield on it, red boots and a cape, blue skirt and a Gwen Stacy headband. I presume she takes it off when she shags Norman Osborn. <laughs> Dan DiDio has stated in an interview on Newsarama that this version of Supergirl has been wiped from existence. But given that we still seem to have these comics, we're going to prove that she's still here. Peter David shifted gears again with issue 75 of Supergirl, cover dated 2002. The cover by Rob Haynes is a pastiche of Supergirl's first appearance from the aforementioned Action Comics 252. A sweet, innocent figure in a Supergirl outfit emerges from a crashed rocket ship as our Supergirl, Linda Danvers, looks on aghast. Reintroducing the Supergirl from Krypton. Is she friend or foe? asks the cover copy. 
Were you a fan of this era of Supergirl? Or do you not really have any opinion? I, I don't really have an opinion. You, don't read, you read Superman at this time. You've read all the Doomsday stuff. Were you aware that it wasn't Superman's cousin anymore? Uh, I knew that it was Matrix. Hmm. But that's it. I knew that it was Matrix. Right. And did this ever confuse you? No. Ah, uh, okay. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> it's because there's different versions. It never confused me when there were different Flashes or Green Lanterns. Because just... you just accepted that as part of comics there were different versions of certain yeah. characters. Yeah, all right, fair enough. Uh, as a cover, issue 75, I'm not really a fan. Looks a bit like Invincible. Mm. And the art kind of suits that book, but there's something here that just doesn't work for me. I didn't like Daredevil Ninja either, right. which Rob Haynes worked on. And it's not bad. Yeah. It's just not to my taste. It looks like it should be in one of the... You know the... DC Comics did it for children. Yes. Kind of looks like it belongs there. Yeah. It's not like I say it's, it's decent art in and of itself. Yeah. It's just it's not for me. Is it kind of mangery? It's not really, is it? It's not really mangery. No. What do you think it is about it why I don't like it? It's a bit poorly drawn. Why? I mean, the ana- none of the anatomy's wonky. It's not over-exaggerated in terms of the women's proportions, which is nice. Yeah. It's two normal-looking women... I like the her, particularly like Linda's gigantic quiff that comes over her head. I'm a yeah. big fan of that. I just, for some reason, it just doesn't speak to me. It does look like it's it's from like a children's comic, and there is something about it to me. It doesn't. It doesn't look like it's got any effort in. Right. Okay. All right. See, it doesn't do anything for me either. Whilst it's, whilst I acknowledge that there's nothing wrong with it. It's hella simplistic and simple. Yeah, but sometimes there's nothing wrong with that, and it's like why. I don't know why Rob Haynes' stuff just doesn't speak to me. Mm. I don't think he's awful. This isn't a Jay Lee kind of thing going on here, where <laughs> I, I think Jay Lee's awful, but other people like him, so what do I... But he's uh, Eye of the Beholder, isn't it? it is. And this just... Rob Haynes' stuff just doesn't do anything for me, whilst with the caveat that I don't actually think it's bad art. I don't think it's bad by any stretch of the imagination. Many Happy Returns was written by Peter David with art by Ed Benes. Is he Benes or Beans? I say Beans. You say Beans. I think he's Benes. Uh, and inks by Alex Lay. Supergirl arrives back in Leesburg and thwarts a robbery in progress in her usual inimitable style, i.e. with panache, wit and class. It annoys the leader of the gang, Johnny Reb, who is watching through mounted cameras. Supergirl has a brief chat with Police Chief Danvers, Soto Voice, that whole secret identity thing, and they hook up at home where Linda's mum reveals she's pregnant. Rather, her pregnant belly reveals she's pregnant. Linda would have had to be real dumb to not notice. As all this occurs, a spaceship rockets towards Earth. It veers erratically and is headed on a collision course towards a park full of kids. Supergirl stops it with a telekinetic blast and it lands in a nearby deserted forest. Supergirl rushes to the crash site to be gobsmacked by the arrival of another Supergirl. Announcing herself as Kara Zor-El, this Supergirl is fresh-faced and sweet-natured. She'll fit right in. Before the two can catch up, Supergirl is hit by a missile and the new girl, we will call her Supergirl Blue, is also attacked, although she cannot understand what's occurring. Her powers kick in and she blasts the missile, apparently being manned by Johnny Reb, with her heat vision. Supergirl Blue doesn't know how to turn this off, however, and blasts Supergirl, we'll call her Supergirl White, with it. Supergirl White snaps at Supergirl Blue, believing this to be some kind of scam. Supergirl Blue cannot understand why Supergirl White is so mean, and sobs. She pushes away and flies off to find Superman. What a Superman. 
Superman. Uh, excellent splash page, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I love the art of these five, six issues. Yeah. Uh, Ed Benes, he gets lumped in with good girl artists, doesn't he? Mm. And that's kind of fur. Yeah. It's a little bit fur. He likes to draw attractive women. And he does it well. And he does it exceptionally, exceptionally well. Um, I don't think it's fur to lump him in with Greg Land. Yeah. I don't think that's fur in terms of the art itself. Maybe Supergirl's skirts are a little bit short. Yeah. But Linda Danvers is in her early to mid-twenties. If she wants to wear little skirts and she's, she feels that she enjoys that fashion choice, then let her. But it's camera angles. If yes. If it wasn't for very, very clever shadowing, that's a panty shot right there. Yes, the splash page. Yeah. I, I don't disagree. And you can follow where her crotch is because of how tight the skirt is as well. Yeah. Well, I did. I did ask for the opinion of real live women. Oh, okay. Uh, you I went out on the street. I went on the street <laughs> and I just accosted women in the street yeah. and said, oh, you, come here. You can get arrested for that. Is that skirt too short? And then I looked at what the girl was wearing and I, 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 I rescinded the question. Oh, yeah. No, I consulted with uh, Anya. Right. My, my an daughter, actual girl. An actual girl, your sister. Yeah. And Angela, my wife. An actual woman. An actual, and your mother. Yeah. So, I didn't go far <laughs> to consult this straw poll. It, it's research, but it, you're not putting much effort in. Uh, no, no, I, you know, of the 100% of people that I polled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I, I asked them to have a look at the art in the book. I didn't ask them to read it, because, you know, sister yeah, yeah. attention spans probably couldn't cope with it. I, I asked them if they had any problems with how Benes depicted the women in this story. Both felt that Linda's skirt was a tad too short, but neither of them had a problem with the art in and of itself. Kara, especially, is beautifully drawn, I thought, in that she's got a, a beautiful, open and friendly face and looks very sweet and innocent, doesn't she? She looks quite lovely. Well, I saw a lot of um, Ed McGuinness in the art. A little bit of Ed McGuinness, yeah. He's not... He's more Ed McGuinness than he is Ed Beans at this point. You think? Mm. You think he was influenced by McGuinness? Could be. Because he's, he's still got a bit to go until he gets to Justice League. But see, this was early 2000, late 2000, 2002. Had McGuinness been around long at that point? I don't know. Because he was drawing Superman in for the, the Y2K arc, which was 2001. Maybe there's a lot of Ed Beans in Ed McGuinness. Possibly. Yeah. yeah, or it's entirely possible they both came from different places and arrived at the same place. Yeah, well... Because isn't Ed, Ed Benes is Spanish, isn't he? I don't know. I think Ed Benes is Spanish, which may explain why he draws women the way he does. He's a European artist, yeah, yeah. not an American artist. So that would explain a great many things. Um, both, both of them liked the art. Both your mum and your sister liked the art generally. And they felt that the skirt on the cover by Rob Haynes was okay. Mm. But the interior, you know, Angela suggested that have they been wearing tights or shorts underneath, like bicycle shorts? Well, she does, doesn't she? There would be nothing wrong with this. Not when she's drawn by Ed Beans, though. Ed, does she? I don't know. Honestly, I'm, I always think it's problematic giving a young girl like this a skirt when she flies. Yeah. And given that it's a very loose skirt that a good gust of wind would blow up around her waist. Mm. I do think, you know, a pair of bicycle shorts or tights or something wouldn't go amiss. 
she did work shorts in the animated series. She did work shorts in the animated And the new TV show, Melissa Benoist, was tights. Right. She's still got the, the skirt. The uniform yeah. looks very similar to that, but she's got tights on. Which mm. was a, a choice I actually, when we saw the full picture of her, that was the first thing I posted. I like that she's wearing tights. Well, what works in comics doesn't really work for an actual woman. Yeah, well, there's also the thing as well, Helen Slater didn't wear tights. But Helen Slater's skirt was a little bit longer than than it is in this comic. Yeah. But still, yeah, I don't, I don't mind that. I, I, I have no objection to the, the tights thing. I think it's a good idea. Um, the opening to this is just a great deal of fun. Supergirl herself notes this when she's stopping the the bank robbers, wondering when the last time she had fun. I wonder if she asks herself that question now. New Fifty Two was. That's not fair. We've not we've not read any Supergirl. She's all angry and red lantern. Is she? Mm. Well, not anymore. All right. Okay. Maybe she's having fun now. I don't know. Um, it's a personal preference, but I really do like it when a super person catches the bullets. Yeah. Instead of just letting them bounce off the chest. How many people got hit with those ricochets? Exact amount. I think it's a tad irresponsible when there are civilians around to just let them bounce off your chest like that. But it's entirely responsible for the civilians to hang around watching a gunfight. There is that as well. But, you know, (laughs) if you were watching a a bank robber and Superman swooped in to stop them, I'd pretty much stop and watch. Yeah. So, especially with Supergirl, and especially if she looked like this. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know... Oh, I've just ruined all me... But I've just gone to all the effort to establish that I actually like the new Supergirl wearing tights. Mm-hmm. I, went, I came over all oink. True that. With regards to how attractive I think Supergirl is in this comic. I'm sorry. Misogynistic scum. The, yeah, I'm, the two ladies that listen, I apologise. <laughs> uh, Johnny Reb is the villain of the piece, which is a reference to the American Civil War. Johnny Reb was the personification of the soldier fighting for the Confederacy, or the Southern State. His northern counterpart was Billy Yank. <laughs> similar to how, you know, in World War II we called them Tommies. Yeah, So yeah. it's similar like that. Same thing. Uh, both my wife and daughter, however, despite not having too many problems with Supergirl, had a few issues with how Linda is dressed yeah. for dinner with her parents. Yeah. She's wearing a, a shoulder top, it's very loose-fitting under the breasts, burrs her midriff, very tight around the bosoms, though. And it's very low-cut, implying Linda's not wearing a bra. Although, when you're as perky as that, maybe you don't need one. I don't know. Both Anya and Angela felt that for dinner with mum and dad... Yeah. That was a tad inappropriate. Maybe it's a bit too much in that. You're showing a showing nipple, though. Yeah, yeah. They both thought maybe a shirt... Yeah. Or a t-shirt would have been more appropriate for dinner with mummy and daddy. I, I know if she showed up dressed like that when, when she's 20, I would probably say something like, put a, put a coat on, love. It's a bit nippy out. <laughs> Take my eye out. It's a bit nippy. Yes. So say my nips. Uh, I do love this scene where she finds out that her mum's pregnant because she's been away for a bit and she asks her mum... And Dad, if they've ever heard of protection. Well, I had a gun on this. And then Dad says that, which is, which is absolutely fantastic. And I love the conversation as well. That, aren't you too old to, to be, what, having sex? Yeah. Well, that as well. But what, what got me about this as well, um, I am now older than Linda's parents. I think she actually says at this point that Linda's, Linda's mum's only 42. So I'm the same age as Linda's parents. Does she say 49? Does she say 49? No, she can't be 49. 
43. Oh, so okay. I'm still younger than her. Right. Okay. So I'm still younger than the parent. <laughs> Yay! Go me. Okay. Yeah. You're not quite too old to be having. Children. I'm not quite too old. To, I'm not. I can go into my eighties. Made it. <laughs> well, men can be popping about well into our dotage. Are we on like children here or? Uh... Well, yeah, that as well. Uh, there are only three people at the Danvers for the barbecue: Mum, Dad, and Linda. Why then the is twins. Mrs. Danver? Well, yeah. <laughs> yes. Why then is Mrs. Danvers made six hamburgers? At least six hamburgers. To each. Because if we look at Linda's belly, which is prominently on display, yeah. she doesn't look like she eats anything. She Although, super metabolism. Yeah, true. That's what they used to explain Superman, isn't it? The Does that not mean he needs to take super dumps? Well, you can t- interpret it either way. You can interpret it as he doesn't have to eat a lot. Right. But one would imagine, given the amount of stuff that he does, he would actually have to eat. He has to fuel up, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, and his metabolism will burn it up quicker. I always assume Superman does have to eat. Because yeah. isn't that one of the theories about alcohol, that he can drink alcohol but it doesn't really affect him? He would have to drink a hell of a lot yeah. for it to affect him. Because he's the same as a normal person, but with higher proportions. Yeah, whereas Linda just has bigger proportions. <laughs> yeah. Sorry! Oink! 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 I, 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 oh. Sometimes. I just, I just can't resist getting myself into trouble. Can I? Uh, Supergirl saving the park full of kids was really good little fun little action beat and Peter does Peter David does a really good job of portraying Kara Benes gets to do his homage to the cover of Action 242 in a, a really gorgeous double page spread yeah. you have to turn it on its side to look at it's it it's landscape yeah, portrait it's, even it's lovely it's yeah. a lovely lovely piece of art again skirt could be a bit longer but you know that's how he draws them you know uh, he does a really good job of characterising characterising her as sweet and a tad naive but she's relatable likeable straight away she looks a little bit like the girl who plays live on um, iZombie alright a bit younger but same you know pointy chin oval face that kind of thing he also mines an awful lot of humour from um, Linda's naivete over the course of the story, which is nice as well. I like that she couldn't turn a heat vision off. Yeah. Because she's not learned how to use it yet. That was funny. I thought this was a great first issue. Absolutely blinded. Gorgeous artwork. David pays lip service to the past while turning towards the future. It's a classic new beginning storyline that sadly will turn out to be the end. As with all things David of this era, the dialogue pops and the characters are fleshed out in but a few words. Subplots are introduced naturally, and we're left wondering who is this Supergirl from Krypton. I thought this was was masterful storytelling. Sadly missing a letters page, because DC Comics of this time didn't have a letters page. And hot this month, Batman Hush. Hmm. What did you think, Michael? Of Batman Hush? No, of of Supergirl (laughs) issue 75. Um, Yeah, I liked it. It's good, isn't it? Mm. Is that all you've got to offer us? It's, it's the first issue, really. We've not got to the main meat of it. Good setup, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Good setup for what's to come. Don't really care about the whole Johnny Rebel thing. Johnny Reb. No, well, they do make a point of pointing that out later on in the yeah. story, isn't it? You're just a distraction. You're just not important. And he isn't. He's not. He's not important to the story at all. Uh, issue 76 is covered dated January 2003. Supergirl Blue stands or flies, waving in front of a parade as Supergirl White tries to stop a giant balloon of Mr. Mixies Claws. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Mixies Pitalik. It's by Rob Haynes again. So, again, there's nothing absolutely anything wrong with it. Yeah. It's just not for me. Big picture of Mr. Farty Footballs. <laughs> 
Are we going to keep doing this? <laughs> Mr. Farty f***s me up the ass. <laughs> Mr. Tickles me in the wrong place. Mr. Little Prick. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so that's what we think of the cover. Don't we? Uh, Many Happy Returns Part 2 does not have a subtitle. It is just Many Happy Returns Part 2. Supergirl White catches up to Supergirl Blue, who is trying to move the Earth out of its orbit to prevent it being hit by a meteor. Supergirl White points out the scientific implausibilities of this idea, just as Con L, this era's Superboy, shows up. He'd been called by Supergirl White as he is closer in age to Supergirl Blue, and they flirt a little bit, which is all adorable and such, but Supergirl Blue is distracted by noises from Metropolis. Upon arrival, Supergirl is greeted by a T-Rex created by Mr. Mixia's Pitalik, and she swoops into action, but Mixie hits her with Green K, and she is clasped in between the jaws of a pterodactyl. Supergirl White and Superboy then arrive and pick up the slack. Superboy is stomped on by a Sentinel on loan from the Marvel Universe, and Supergirl White rescues Supergirl Blue before being stomped herself by a Triceratops. Superboy uses his tactile TK to blow the Sentinel up, but the head rolls away, almost crushing an old lady. Supergirl Blue tries to assist and manages to shove the lady away, but without her powers is almost crushed herself until Superman arrives, rescuing both. Superman, unaware of Supergirl Blue's true identity, tells her to stop trying to be a hero and go home. A pep talk that isn't up there with the greatest speeches of our time, and feeling rejected, she shuts down. Supergirl White and Superboy then take Supergirl Blue to Star Labs. Once there, a battery of tests are run and it is revealed she is from Krypton. Supergirl Blue hates it here. There is no peace, no solitude, nowhere for her to call home. Supergirl White says she'll give her a home. Uh, the issues constructed in flashback. We open with Supergirl and Superboy at Star Labs already, with Supergirl being examined by Kitty Faulkner, who seems to have been on a diet since I remember her in Superman comics. Oh, she certainly, you know, had some plastic surgery and glammed up a bit. Maybe because she's on TV. Maybe she's Probably. now been like the housewives of Beverly whatever. The new housewives of Metropolis. Maybe, maybe they have a science show. Maybe. Science reality show set in Star Labs, so she glammed herself up. Because she's also took to wearing very short skirts. Very tight ones as well. Very tight skirts. Yeah, I don't remember Kitty Faulkner being like that. But, you know, maybe when she was Rampage. Because mm. she was kind of like a She-Hulk type, type thing. Do you remember Rampage? No. I don't remember. All right, fair enough. Uh, Kitty's really pissy with them as well at the bottom of page two, isn't she? Uh, yeah. No real reason for that. But, you know, whatever. Uh, the flashback scene opening is very funny. Kara is trying to push Earth out of its orbit so it isn't hit by a meteor. Yeah, I like that. I thought that was funny. It's something Superman did all the time in the Silver Age, but, you know, we live in a far more enlightened time now, so we have to point out the scientific stupidity of such a move. Kara is upside down, so she must have an inordinate amount of static cling for a skirt to remain upright. It looks like she's tucked it in between her legs. Does it? Does it yeah. look like she's tucked it in between her thighs? I, I quite like that. Right. Well, given how modest she is. Yeah. Given how modest she is, she was a skirt that shot. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I can only assume that Kara got this idea because the Superman that she was watching through the Super Space Telescope was, in fact, the George Reeves television version. <laughs> That would explain a lot, wouldn't it? It could be. What yeah. if she wasn't actually watching through a telescope? Her parents were putting on, like, DVDs. DVDs of the George Reeves show. Yeah, yeah. Watch these, baby Cara. Okay. Surprising she didn't come to Earth in a grey and brown uniform. <laughs> 
instead of a, a red and blue one. Be sure to the colour episodes. Only the colour ones? Yeah. Oh, man, really? <laughs> Deprived child. Um, Kara and Con flirting is sweet. Linda interrupting is much funnier. That's a coincidence, Connell, Kara. What the hell is funny? Think the other's cute. I'm thrilled. Can we move on? Because I, like, I like that Linda as well. Linda must be in her mid to late 20s. Yeah. So all this teen stuff, she's past all of that now. So all this just isn't endearing to her. I don't know how old Connell's supposed to be that he's flirting with Cara, but it, it works, doesn't it? Is he supposed to be 17, 16? Oh, he's 16, wasn't he? Was he? He was 16 in Reign of the Superman. Right. So, and Cara is supposed to be 50. Right. So, yeah, all right, I can go with that. I can so go he's, with he's not grown up since then? DC Universe sliding timescale thing. Oh, okay. It's only been... What, a decade since the reign of the Superman at this point? In real time? So in comic book time, that's probably what? Like a year? Month. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a month since the reign of the Superman. <laughs> Superman had longer for less than two days in reality. Well, with a mullet, you wouldn't have <laughs> Rocking the Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> it was not a mullet. I agree with Mike Bailey. Uh, is there a reason for this parade that there are? Is it Macy's Day? Why is Missy Expedalic here? Is it just his day of the month? I don't know. It's Metropolis. Do you need an excuse to have a parade? Do they just have them for fun, do you think, in Metropolis? I guess. Oh, I see a bad moon rising. Trouble's going to happen. <laughs> Best have a parade so they can mess it up. <laughs> Let's have a parade just so Mr. Mixes Pitalic can mess with it. Yeah. Because they're all dressed up as superheroes, so there was something going on before Mixie showed up. He, he said he turns into superheroes. Yeah. All right. Okay. So is, is it not a parade, then? As he just showed up and started messing around with stuff. Could be. Right. Okay. Any excuse to bring the T-Rex out. Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with Superman slash Superwoman slash Supergirl fighting with a T-Rex. There is that. Just like fighting robots, it's always good fun. Super family versus dinosaurs. Uh, and then the story ends for a plug of Superman Metropolis. Which looks awful. By uh, Chuck Austin and Daniel Zezu. And I think this signified DC's move into darker stuff because the artwork in this just looks dark and muddy and completely uninteresting to me and yeah. then thankfully we turned the page and we're back with Ed Benes <laughs> so that was nice um, Superman's incredibly pompous yeah when he shows up to talk to Supergirl we, we, we barely see him we see him from Supergirl's perspective which is cool and then he has a page where he has a chat with her is this a problem with people who don't really have an affinity or history writing the character that he can come across a bit pompous. I guess. Or do you think this is Peter David writing it from the point of view of Kara, thinking that he's going to be a bit pompous? Could be. It could be. Ed Benes can't draw that good of a Superman yet. Ed Benes is not the on the Superman yet, but he's drawing Supergirl, so... Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, but he does draw Superman with very slicked-back Dean Cain hair, doesn't he? Yeah. So. What, what I didn't entirely get with this scene is if Superman seems to think that... She's Super just a normal girl. Exactly. So, considering there's a big plot point later on about him using x-rays to work out if a person is telling the truth or not, yeah. why doesn't he do it now? Well, that was the Superman of an alternate universe. That was the Superman of the Silver Age universe who was more powerful than our Superman. Okay. So, but isn't isn't Supergirl flying? Oh no, she's just pushing somebody out of the way, isn't she? Yeah. So, he would be excused for thinking she was just a normal girl dressed as a Supergirl. But he can't see her Kryptonian DNA. No. Because, well, he's not looking for it. What reason would he have to look for it? He doesn't have that power on all the time. 
like he doesn't use his super hearing all the time, he'd go mad. So he has to hone it and use it and practice with it. So he's he's got no reason here to think she's anything but what she looks like. So the Superman who gives all his time and attention to those who needs it just decided that today he's just going to be a bit pisser. Yeah, why not? Okay. I, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. He, he is a bit of a pompous ass yeah. in this particular scene. But I also don't think he's got any reason to think she's anything other than she appears to be. So I, I just think Superman would have given someone... What, maybe let her speak a bit? Yeah, yeah. Instead of just keep interrupting her. He tells like her, I'm doing with you. He, he, and you're on time. <laughs> he tells her to go get a doctor, but if he thinks she needs to see a doctor, doesn't shouldn't he give her a, a minute to talk? Yeah, he just cuts her off and interrupts her. And there's a part of you that's like, yeah, at this point in the story, Peter David doesn't want Superman to know that Kara's here. Yeah. So that's why he cuts her off. So you can see the writing mechanics working rather than it being an organic scene. Yeah. It still works, and it doesn't take you out of the story, but you are left reading the, this bit going, Superman's a bit of an asshole in this scene. Mm. And maybe that's deliberate, I don't know. Other than, you know, Peter David doesn't want Superman to know about Carrier. Um I do like, none of this has page numbers, but Kara's sat in the hospital at Star Labs. And Benes does not use repeated panels on a scene where the camera, for want of a better word, zooms in Mm. on Kara. He redraws every single panel. There's none of that cut-and-paste crap that we put up with last week, thanks to Michael Gerdas. Mm. So again, big thumbs up, Benes, from me. For not doing that cut and paste drivel. The endings are also very sweet, where there's a gag at the expense of Superman just dumping her in an orphanage in the 1950s, where she's like, what, what kind of dope would put an alien newcomer in an orphanage? I'm not going to do that with you. I'll take you home with me. Which is, was nice, wasn't it? Entertaining second part. Moves the story along only ever so slightly, but it does it with style and panache. Lovely scripting by Peter David. Lovely art by Ed Benes. Uh, lovely comic book from DC Comics. Yeah, who knew they could do such a thing? <laughs> well, back in the day, they did it quite a lot. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Issue 77 is cover dated uh, February 2003. Haynes again on cover duties. Hold the bus! Runs the copy. It's Kara's first day at school. Kara, dressed like Linda, holds up a school bus by the back bumper as a student crawls underneath. Locking up a skirt. Yeah, but, but I'm not entirely sure what's going on. Why Why are his books underneath the school bus? Yeah. What, what's occurring? Does she have no concept of the secret identity? Has she walked off the, the, the set of Arrow or the Flash where they have no idea what a secret identity is or how it works? Could be, yeah. Again, you know, it's, it's Rob Haynes. I think we've established I don't dislike his art, but it's just not my, my cup of tea. Do you like it? Not really. No, because I don't understand what's going on. Well, obviously, she's lifting the bus up so that guy can look up a skirt. Obviously, yeah, but secret identity? I mean, I do like the Smallville-esque clothes that she's wearing. Yeah. Red trainers, blue skirt, white shirt, and a white... Uh, sorry, a red um, jumper tied around her neck like a cape. I like that little smallville touch. Is Smallville she... running at this point? Smallville running in 2003? Uh... Don't know. I don't know when I don't know when Smallville started. I can't remember a time before Smallville. <laughs> well, 
for you there probably wasn't one. I think it started in 1995. I, re- I remember when it started. <laughs> oh, right. Well, so it must have started a couple of years after you were born then. I guess. But did I watch it when it started, or did I watch repeat since it's older than the hills? I don't know. I don't know when it the started. The last of the summer wine, I think, started after <laughs> Smallville. The last of the summer wine cast were young when, when Smallville started. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Many Happy Returns Part 3 has a subtitle. It's called Fatalist Attraction. Johnny Reb is about to leave town when he is confronted by a big fella by the name of Fatalist who claims to have brought Kara to Earth and blasts Reb with his four eyes. His task complete, he turns his attention to Lord Xenon who gets off on torturing Supergirl cosplayers and they do a little bit of chit-chat to let we, the reader, know they are the bad guys. The horns help make this point. At Leesburg High School, Linda has took a job as an art teacher and Kara has enrolled as a freshman. Kara isn't fitting in terribly well, which I can't understand because she's young, pretty and athletic. What's not to love? Linda spots some trouble with a teacher and a student and intervenes before the student can shoot the teacher. Which seems a bit of an overreaction to me for a simple D grade. The teacher is grateful to see Supergirl but then has an anxiety attack. Kara uses her X-ray vision to see what's going on, and the school nurse falls to the floor. Kara believes her X-ray vision caused the woman's pacemaker to malfunction, which is highly unlikely, but she still blames herself. Suddenly, Johnny Reb shows back up and is now all super jacked up. He calls Supergirl out, and it's the Kara version that answers the call, but still all woe is me about the nurse. She lets Reb beat her without retaliation. Linda has no time to ponder these events as two old friends have dropped by, which means they instantly end up in a life-threatening situation that reveals her super suit under her clothes as Reb closes in on Kara for the kill, all the while being watched by Fatalist. Uh, Johnny Reb's back, because I was wondering what happened to him, because Kara blasted him out of the sky at the end of the last issue and he just disappeared, didn't he? Hmm. He literally is not important to the story, he just... Though. Yeah. He's there when we need a fight scene. Yeah. And then he's gone when we don't. So when they needed a dialogue scene at the end of the issue last time, he just disappeared. Yeah. And then when they need to fight, he shows up again. He really is insignificant. I just didn't really care about all these bad guys anyway. No, that's one of We'll get that when we get to the end. One of my big complaint about this story, my only real complaint about these issues... The bad guy, I don't care about the bad guys. Yeah. I don't really get what his plot is or what, what he wants. We'll explain as we go along, lovely listener. But I don't get what Lord Xenon's up to, and I don't care. Yeah. And I don't get what Fatalist is up to, and I don't care. And Johnny Reb just, he is, as he's pointed out in the story... You're not supposed to care. You're not supposed to care about him, he just shows up when they need a fight scene. Yeah. So I'm enjoying the Supergirl bits, yes. when a bad guy pops up... I just, lose interest. Yeah. It's just not... I don't care about the bad guy stuff. Uh, I did like that he was running away rather than sticking around, because that makes sense. Why would you want to take on two Supergirls? Yeah. I've, I've said to you before, if I was a supervillain, I would not be in Metropolis <laughs> or Gotham. Yeah. I would live in some small town in the middle of Podunk, Nebraska... Or off near San Francisco or something where there aren't any superheroes and just rob banks at my leisure. Why, why even do that though? Like Poland? Eastern Europe? That's where it's at. Maybe Switzerland. Not Poland. I don't live in Poland. I, it's it's way too dark though. So Yeah, Switzerland's nice. In Poland you only have to like hide behind a, a, a box. <laughs> or in a box if you're in Metal Gear Solid. Oh, it's too dark. I cannot see anything. I think you're confusing it with 30 Days of Night. 
Where is that set? Oh, it's Alaska, isn't Alaska, it? Alaska, yeah. I'd go and live in Alaska. Do it in Alaska during yeah. those 30 days of life. Yeah, just go and live in Alaska. Have a nice big house. Yeah. Just live there for 30 days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could do that. Just hunt off the odd vampire? Yeah. The, the conversation between Kara and Linda while they're at home is is nice on the nature of heroism and what makes a hero and and all of that stuff. It contrasts Kara's 50s wide-eyed naivete with Linda's post-millennial cynicism. Uh, I like as well that Linda wears a Batman t-shirt. Yeah. Which amuses me. Does she wear a wig when she's Supergirl? Yes. Does she? Mm. Right, okay. Because she's got brown hair in reality then. Yeah. So is the headband keeping the wig on when, when Linda yeah. is Supergirl? Because right. Superman calls her out on it. Does he? Yes, he does later on. Yeah, when we get to the Silver Age stuff. Yeah, you're right. I don't see the point of sleeping while flying. I can't yeah. you fly in your sleep. I thought, is it is it comfy to do that? Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't because think it would be. You, you're hovering, so you're not exactly. Uh, yeah. And don't you have to think yeah. to fly? You're not resting on anything. You've got to hold your pillow up as well. Your pillow's not yeah. flying with you. Yeah, so that's uncomfortable. So the minute that they fall asleep wouldn't they just fall to the floor it's I think it's a cute little visual gag but that makes no sense yeah 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 alright yeah I'll go with that it's a cute little visual gag I'll, I'll, I suppose um was this a real supergirl that oh, Lord Xenon kills I love the way he's I don't know I don't really give a shit about Lord Xenon <laughs> I don't <laughs> multiverse Elseworld. Is that so? Is that where he's plucking these Supergirls from? I'm assuming because I thought in the post-crisis DCU before Dan Didio came in, yeah. which this is just on the cusp of Didio coming on, there was no multiverse. Well, they don't say multiverse; they just say time and space. So where is he pulling these from then? Other than his ass. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh look, I found another Supergirl. <laughs> what are you doing up there? <laughs> Just like corn can't digest you. <laughs> uh, the locker room scene is a tad cheesecake when we consider that Kara is a freshman, which means that every one of those girls that we're all ogling are less than 15 years of age. Yeah. Now, I, I've been to high school and I've never once been naked in a... In a, in in a, a, in a women's locker room. I've been to high school. None of the girls I was at high school with had figures like that. Th- yeah, that's true. At 14 years of age. 1415. They so, keep getting younger just to prove your point, don't they? Well, d- 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 alright, she's 1415. Yeah. Right? That, that is the only time I felt Ed Ben has crossed a line. That's also a, a very tight and revealing um, soccer outfit yeah. for a high school. I mean, how high are those shorts? Would you, you know, as a high school parent, I would not let my daughter wear that school yeah. uniform. Ofsted would be all over this. Yeah, Students so, would be in, having guns in school. Yeah, and there's this, and these these short shorts. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. That's the that's the one place I think he crossed the line. I'm not against locker room scenes, <laughs> you know, in in prison in women jail movies. Uh, okay, that's yeah. perfectly acceptable. But in 14, 15 year olds, I thought that was a bit much. Do you get the feeling Ed Benners didn't actually know if he's Spanish how old they were supposed to be? I'm not making excuses for. Him. All right, I'm making excuses for him, but it's possible. Because okay. I wouldn't, I would not know how old a high school freshman girl is. Because we don't call them freshmen. And there have been times where we've had to explain the differences between the college and our university. Yeah. So it is possible Benes didn't know, but surely the editor 
should have got in touch with and said, yeah, you know that, that panel where they're all not worrying anything? Well, maybe the script just said, girl shower scene. Yeah, but, or maybe it just said lock, interior locker room. Yeah. And so he's gone all, hey, Porky's <laughs> locker room. And yeah, it's the only place in the, the story where I felt he went a bit overboard. Mm. And he should have pulled back a bit there. Yeah, what Michael's already mentioned is students bringing guns to school a regular thing in Leesburg. Yeah. Okay, and two people have heart problems in two pages. Again, is this regular for Leesburg? <laughs> people having heart attacks, just willy-nilly. Uh, Cutter and the girl whose name temporarily escapes me were regulars in the book early on and were friends of Linda. I, don't, I can't remember if they ever tried to figure out she was Supergirl or anything. I just love how the most unrealistic thing about the story is how when they see her in the Supergirl yeah. t-shirt, they think she's Supergirl. Whereas that happened in real life. It's just, oh, right, nice Superman t-shirt. Yeah, well, that's the thing with the DC. I mean, we've just seen her wearing a Batgirl t-shirt. Yeah. So if she had her Batman t-shirt on under a sweater today, would you have thought she was Batgirl? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you're right. You wouldn't immediately jump to them. I have my Superman t-shirts under my shirt all the time when it's cold. Yeah. If that gets ripped, you're not going to think I'm Superman, are you? <laughs> I mean, it's a bloody good disguise if I am. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I, I get And You wouldn't leap to that conclusion immediately that she was Supergirl. Although, to be fair, hasn't, she, hasn't he just seen her pull big hunk of granite off? Yeah, and she does fly. So that kind... Of, I, I tend to think she was Supergirl if I saw that. Yeah, yeah. More than I saw the S. But... You know, whatever. Uh, it's not as good a chapter as the first two. Fatalist and Lord Xenon, as we've discovered, are really, really dull bad guys. And I do find it hard to believe that people can just wander into school and say hi, mm. as Cutter does. Hey, don't you need badges and stuff now? We we get told if somebody's not wearing a badge, you kick them out. We can only get into our building with a badge. So, yeah, still... David's building the relationship with Linda and Kara quite well. I do like the big sis-little-sis dynamic. And Hot Comics this month, Batgirl Year One, which is really good, and Gotham Central, which is also really good, and Hush is still getting picked as a, a hot comic. Issue three, not as good as the other two, was it? Mm. Not as impressive. Um, not bad, by any stretch of the imagination. The cover to issue 78 has Kara and Linda both looking at us, the reader, with a come and have a go if you think you're hard enough look to their face. Ed Benes has took over now as artist of the covers. Don't know whether Rob Haynes was busy or, or what. Uh, one thing I do like about his art that I don't think he gets enough credit for, Linda and Cara clearly have different faces. Yeah. Different shapes, different lips, different noses, different eyes, different hair, obviously. So he clearly is a good enough artist to differentiate faces. Mm. And they have different body types. Yeah. Which you would expect from a 14, 15 year old girl versus a 25, 26 year old girl. Mm. So, a woman. So, um, I like that. That's yeah. good artistry. Supergirl white's more muscly than Supergirl blue. As you would expect. She's yeah. been doing it for longer. But that too. So there's more, yeah, there's more muscle tone to her. So, yeah. Thumbs I, up, Mr. Benes. I quite like the Spectre as well. The Spectre's good as well. The Spectre is behind, yes, the Spectre of things to come is the... Uh, I didn't mention that in the notes. That's kind of important, that. The <laughs> yeah, Spectre's well, on the cover. <laughs> and there's a reason I kept you around. Uh, part four of Many Happy Returns is called Bad Choices. The Spectre pays a visit to Lord Xenon, who is apparently trapped in this realm of nothingness by the S-Shield. Did you get that? Did you get how that worked? I don't know. No, me neither. Now he spends his time slaughtering Supergirls, vowing to eradicate them all from the corridors of time and space, and hopefully free himself. The Spectre leaves, vowing to stop him. 
Lord Xenon then receives a message about two new Supergirls within easy proximity of each other, and he wonders how they've managed to elude him. Maybe it was the Fatalists' doing. No matter. He'll have to kill them both. Elsewhere, Johnny Reb gains no pleasure in beating on a Supergirl that won't fight back, and he tells her that it was his equipment that probably disrupted the pacemaker, and, pleased with this news, Supergirl Blue starts kicking the crap out of him, booting him seven ways to Sunday. Supergirl White appears, having managed to escape the school, and they join forces, but a giant version of the Spectre appears that Johnny Reb doesn't see. He's also completely oblivious to the giant version of the Fatalist, who also appears. They team up to take him out, but the Spectre interrupts to tell them that the fate of a universe is in their hands. He shows Kara her fate, to die saving the world in the crisis, a fate interrupted by the Fatalist for his own reasons. Kara must return to her timeline and fix what once went wrong, lest the world suffer. Kara can't believe this. This was all supposed to be fun and helping people and adventures and excitement and really wild things. She's 15. She doesn't want to die. Linda looks at the younger girl and hugs her. She tells her that it's going to be fine and she should head back to high school and check that Johnny Reb is out for the count. Linda will stay here and work with the Spectre. They'll find a way. As Supergirl Blue flies away, Linda steps into the rocket ship, preparing to take Kara's place. She whispers a final farewell that she knows Kara will hear, and the ship blasts off back to its own timeline. Uh, opening to this, the, the Lord Xenon Spectre stuff, yawn. Yeah. Although, the line, don't be a stranger. Oh yes, that's the other fellow. That was funny. Well, which was the bit, was it the last issue? Where what? it goes, don't cross me, fatalist. Or what happens could be fatal. <laughs> That's the last issue, I think. Yeah. But it's funny. Yeah. yeah, David's dialogue's very, very funny. And Kara uh, being overjoyed that she didn't cause the pacemaker failure. I, I, I love that scene. Is this hilarious? Yeah, because he spends the entire page basically saying, No, no, it was me. I did it. I just love how he's, he's not getting into it. He can't fight her. She's just... Yeah, if she's not fighting back. Yeah. And then, oh, I feel so much better. And wham! I love how she looks genuinely grateful and happy. <laughs> Until he hits her with his big, big yeah. hand. And then she's like, piss off! And punches him across time and space. Well, across the field, anyway. Yeah. It is a great scene. It's a brilliant scene. And uh, the Supergirl, Supergirl pinwheel is likewise utterly brilliant. They join hands in mid-air and then just spin round and round and round and round so they just keep kicking him in the face. Yes. <laughs> Genuinely laugh. I'm laughing now. And I've read it. That was funny. It was. It was very, very funny. Uh, a couple of lovely scenes, some great moments from Linda, who's not afraid to get in the face of both the Fatalist and the Spectre almost managed to hide the fact that if we take Crisis at face value this story can't happen mm. the whole point of Crisis was there never was a Supergirl not that she was from an alternate timeline that all went away it never happened it never existed there was no multiverse I mean by this point DC was slowly giving up yeah. on Crisis on Infinite Earth Jeanette Kahn had recently left in fact, I think she leaves in this arc. If we go back to issue 75, Jeanette Kearney is still credited in the back of the book as president and editor-in-chief of DC Comics. By the time we get to this issue, issue 78, she's gone. Right. So Jeanette Kearney is gone, which is the end of an era 
as far as DC Comics. Only Paul Levitz was left at DC, who'd been a senior in a senior position, sorry, when Crisis on Infinite Earths happened. But ignoring that, this is mighty, mighty fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Fun and tragic and sad and joyful, often within pages of each other. Linda taking Kara's place makes for an interesting development. Kind of mirrors what John Byrne did with his Wonder Woman. Mm. He had to explain how Wonder Woman could have been in the Justice Society in World War II when Wonder Woman didn't show up in the DC Universe till Legends, the miniseries, right. long after Christ. Of course, Earth. John Byrne had to. John Byrne had to explain yeah, that because yeah. he's John Byrne. So he established that the Wonder Woman in World War II was just Wonder Woman's mum. Oh, right, is that where it came from? Yeah, right. which isn't a bad idea, is it? No. actually works, although I'm sure Peter David will love being compared to John Byrne. Because <laughs> they're not like each other. Not fans, no. no. Uh, Look that up okay. when you get a minute. Look up um, Peter David spoiling Alpha Flight 12 All right, then. when you get a minute. It's an hysterical story showing just how petty comic book creators can be. All right. Like Some people never leave high school. <laughs> I did like how this was actually Supergirl. Because it's, it's, yes. it's kind of like the return Which of... Which is kind of the point I'm making. It can't be Supergirl. Yeah. But it is. But it's kind of like the return of Barry Allen, only this yeah. actually is the real Supergirl. Mm. Even though it can't be. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Ignore all that. Ignore well, that it can't be. She has to go back and make Crisis happen so that Crisis can't happen. So that Crisis happens, but she gets wiped from existence. Yeah. Alright, fair enough. Alright, I'll go with that. Yeah, I know that. The ending's actually really, really sweet. Yeah. And quite sad, especially when Kara realises what she's done. I mean, this would not work if she wasn't as naive as she is. The minute she's like, oh, we'll find a way, I was like, she's going to get in the rocket ship. Yeah. You know straight away, don't you? But yeah, that's uh, very, very good. Good issue. Again, I don't give a toss about the villains. <laughs> Do I? <laughs> you know, whatever. Issue 79 is a pastiche of the cover of Crisis on Infinite Earths, issue 7, with Kara holding Linda in lieu of Superman holding Kara, crying as the DC Universe as was comes out and mourns. Again, there's multiple Supermans, multiple Batmans, and there may be multiple Superboys, multiple Flashes. Yeah, because, you know, Crisis. There can be only one, it says on the cover, because he'd been watching too much Highlander. Part 5 has a subtitle, Strange Visitor. Kara, having figured it all out, tells Johnny Reb that she is angrier than she has ever been. Does he really want to mess with her right now? Reb decides not. Else when Linda arrives back in the Silver Age and is found by Superman and tells him some cock and bull story about... Well, basically, she tells the Silver Age origin of Supergirl, gently mocking its naivete. She diverts from established canon by refusing to be hidden away, and there is a ticker tape parade and everything. Back in the now that was, Kara is wondering how she can explain all of this to the Danvers, unaware that Fred Danvers has rushed Sylvia to hospital as she's gone into labour. Lord Xenon does some villain exposition about how he needs to destroy all of the Supergirls and thus be freed from his trap at the dawn of time. I didn't quite understand all this, to be honest. As time moves faster in the Silver Age, Linda is having the time of her super life. She cavorts with Comet the Super Horse, plays with Streaky the Super Cat, and enjoys the simple life with Crypto the Super Dog. After many years of adventure, Superman confronts Linda. He knew all along her story was hogwash, but played along to see what the game was. However, as time has passed, his feelings for Linda have grown and they share a kiss. Next, they are married. I've said that things move fast in the Silver Age, so does Superman. 
In the Neo, Kara is accosted by strange blue energies and the sky turns red as it does in the Elsewhen universe. Linda isn't too bothered about it. Her husband and the JLA are on the case. However, when the Spectre arrives in a blaze of nothing, Linda knows there's trouble brewing. She sends her super daughter to bed and listens as the Spectre tells her that her plan, during though it was, has not succeeded. She needs to return to her timeline, save Kara, and then let Kara die in the crisis. Linda thinks this is a stupid idea, but the Spectre is adamant. If Linda doesn't return, Kara dies here and now at the hands of Lord Xenon. And then everything dies. Uh, there's a part of me that loads angry red eyes of anger. Yet, for some reason, on page two of this issue, when Kara's threatening Reb, it works. Maybe it's that this is Silver Edge Supergirl being so threatening, mm. which is unusual. Maybe it's that the words are quite chilling. Maybe it's the art. I don't know, but I like it here. I think it's effective here. Mm. And maybe that's ultimately my problem with it. It's not so much that it is a cliche by this point, which it is, but when it's been effectively used in the storytelling, as it is here, yeah. I'm okay with it. When it's not just a pretty little poster image yeah. to sell comics. I do like this scene. And Johnny Reb's like, really clever for a throwaway villain. Yeah, which she basically says, look, I'm annoyed, and I can hurt you, and I will hurt you. I will hurt you more than you have ever been hurt in your life. Do you really want that? And he's like, no, bye. Because <laughs> yeah. he is, as we've established, he's a throwaway villain with no importance to the plot at all. But he's, he's cleverer than most A-list villains. Yeah, and I love the line, do we have an understanding? Okay! <laughs> See, lots of it is really funny. Yeah. Even though the villains are a bit lame. Uh, Linda's worldly ways contrast with the Silver Age, which Peter David manages to derive a, a great deal of, of humour from. I do think his mocking of the original story is a bit precious. Yeah. I mean, we may have poked a little bit of fun mm. at the scientific inaccuracies of that story ourselves when we covered it. But doing it in story seems like he's putting himself above those writers. Uh, but still, the rest of the issue is a love letter to the Silver Edge, so yeah. you know, we'll let it go. And it is funny. Hmm. Uh, the Ticker Tape Parade is a homage to the issue of Action Comics where Supergirl did actually reveal herself. Not like that. Uh, to the public. Which is, I like the dialogue. She's adorable. I'm just as strong as Superman. Costume makes her look cheap, though. Well, kids today, what are you going to do? That was that was funny. Again, like we said before, Superman's rocking the slip-back Dean Cain look from Lois and Clark. Lois and Clark's been on the... Yeah, Lois and Clark debuted in 93, didn't it? 92, 93. Right. So, yeah, Lois and Clark's been and gone by this point. Good, though. Uh, Linda's monologue on page 12 about the Silver Edge is, is really quite adorable. For some reason, this issue does have page numbers. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's, that's very strange. It's all so simple, so pure. Where's this place been all my life? It's like living in Pleasantville. The heroes are filled with joy over being heroes. The villains have elaborate plans that we can always stop, and they don't go around killing people. And my God, everything's so clean. It's like Disneyland. I mean, yeah, nobody swears, and there's only like five channels on TV, so that took some getting used to, but it was worth it. Lovely little bit, that. Mm. I thought that was quite sweet. Page 13. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Superman is exposed to pink kryptonite and starts flirting with Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. 
love I love Linda's monologue. Granted, every so often there's some genuine weirdness. Fortunately, I think I'm the only one who seems to pick up on the subtext. Yeah, I like... <laughs> I do like how it was never explained. If you get it, you get it. It's funny. Yeah, if you, you get, it, get it, yeah. And, uh, did I ever tell you how smashing you look in bow ties, Jimmy? <laughs> and, uh, by the way, that's a fabulous window treatment you've put together. And Jimmy's like, uh, gee, uh, thanks, Superman. <laughs> Lois is, you know... Superman's acting awfully strange since being exposed to pink kryptonite. What do you think's wrong with it? And Cara, Cara, Linda's Lois, you just don't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> so this means it's canon that there is pink kryptonite. And it makes you yeah. gay. Yeah. And it's like, there's a part of you that's like, I can't believe he went there. Yeah, he did. And there's a part of you that's just busy laughing at the ridiculousness of it. Anyway, moving on from the pink kryptonite, uh, David takes an old Silver Age idea that Superman would have married Kara if she weren't his cousin and takes it to a new level. Do you know, I would actually read a series about these two as a married couple. Yeah. Especially with this creative team. And I love Linda's wedding dress has a huge S on it. Mm. Whereas Superman's gone for the uh, far more subdued S pin. And it's got the, the shoulder things on it, like the cape does. Yeah. And it's an absolutely nice dress, isn't it? I mean, they've stitched her into a corset. Yeah. I don't know why. She's not going to waste as it is. But uh, I love that, you know, Lana and Lois, please let this be a hoax or a dream or an imaginary tale. And Lois and Lana are the only normal people at the wedding. Although they will be, won't they? Because it's Superman marrying Supergirl. Yeah. It's not Clark Kent marrying Kara Zor-El. Or Kara, Linda, whatever name she adopted. Because it doesn't even establish if she she has a secret identity, does it? No. She just maybe she just stays Supergirl all the time. I find it funny how weird it kind of is. Why? Um. Ah, yes. See, for all these years, I've been pretending you were my cousin whilst being strangely attracted to you. Does he mention that he that it's and now I have my own cousin? Oh yeah. So he does think it's it's a cousin. He's Did- been secretly attracted to someone who is being pretended. Their cousins. Yeah. I mean, she does actually come clean and say, I'm not actually your cousin. Doesn't she? Yeah. So that makes it all okay. Of course, yes. Doesn't it? At the end. Yeah. I mean, does this mean that he gave up being Clark Kent? I don't know. If he's now married as Superman. See, there's more to be told here. This was far more interesting. Depending on who he marries could give away his secret identity. Well, Superman's married Supergirl. Yeah, but he's marrying her as Clark Kent. No, he's not. He's marrying her as Superman. He's got the Superman lapel on. That makes him Superman, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, and she's got the big S on her thing, and she's not wearing specs. No, yeah, okay. He's right. not marrying her as Clark. He's marrying Supergirl as Superman. Right. Is, so, that, is that on the marriage certificate as well? <laughs> well, presumably the marriage certificate would say... Is that Cara, a word or with a hyphen? Would say Kal-El <laughs> yeah. and Linda... Because she's told him a real name at this point. Yeah. And the name Linda Danvers doesn't mean anything in this universe. Mm. So presumably, the marriage certificate says Kal-El and Linda Danvers. Okay. I yeah. presume. Because that was always my supposition of how Superman can give evidence in court. 
He's he can give evidence under his name as Kal El, yeah. which is his real name. He can give evidence in court and not lie what his real name is. He doesn't so have to say it's Clark Kent. If Clark Kent is giving evidence, say if he's on if he's on jury duty, Clark Kent is, is his Clark's real name, so he's not lying. Alright, okay. If Superman goes to court and says, give us your real name, and he says, Kal-El, he's not lying. Right. If Clark Kent has to go to court and says, what's your real name? <laughs> Clark Kent, is his, he has a birth certificate and everything for Clark Kent. So if Superman has to give evidence and says his real name is Clark Kent, is he lying? He's just messed up. <laughs> he's just got, oh, s***! <laughs> Kal-El! It's Kal-El! <laughs> I mean, if Clark Kent ever has to testify against Superman, we're in a whole different ballgame of trouble. <laughs> but for the most part... Yeah, where are it? See, this, but this, this was more interesting than Xenon, wasn't it? Yeah. This was far more interesting than the Lord Xenon stuff. This was an, an excellent issue. Uh, they have an adorable little girl. Um, what's her name? What does she call it? Ariella? It's a lovely little girl. And then the Spectre shows up and twists the knife in. Yeah. And says, yeah, we kind of let it go because we thought it may work. <laughs> But, you know, I just thought it'd be fun to, to mess with your head. <laughs> yeah. Quite frankly. he comes off as a right bastard. Well, the spectre is, isn't he? Yeah, we could have stopped you, but we thought we'd make you live this happy life yeah. content with and then... And then take it away <laughs> from you! Because <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> yeah. I had my heart taken from it. I'm going to take yours from you. Is he Hal Jordan at this point? Yes. Oh, so this so, is the Hal Jordan. That's why he's wearing his Green Lantern. Oh, also. so he is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. That's yeah, perfectly explanational. Is the explanational award? It is, it is now, yeah. A brilliant issue. It's a loving nod to the Silver Age, the kind they tried to do recently with Convergence. Only this costs considerably less. Yeah. And, and people are happy with it. <laughs> apparently so. And David has great fun with it, but the story has darker elements and he juggles them very well. Kara's a little bit too crybaby. Mm. But she's only 15, so, you know. And she spends most of the issue in tears. But Linda's story was just brilliant. Yeah. And I wanted more of that. And less of this Lord Xenon drivel mm. that, you know, ultimately I, I didn't give a monkey's chuff about. Supergirl issue 80, the final issue of the series, has some rare DC work by John Romita Sr. The cover is Supergirl, the Linda version, holding the US flag and posing dramatically. It's a play not only on the adventures of Superman, starring George Reeves, but the cover to Supergirl issue 13 from 1984, as well as a tip of the hat to Superman issue 24 from back in the, the 1940s, and Captain America issue 350. Ed Benez isn't the only one to draw Linda in a teeny tiny skirt, though. John Romita Sr. does it here as well. Maybe Un- he's just been given... Unless he's just following Benez's model yeah. work, yeah. I really like that cover. I do. Although it looks like Supergirl's a bit startled. Like like Superman's just asked her if she ever seen a smiling snake. <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> like Supergirl's... Superman's just been to said, do you think marrying your cousin is bad? yeah. <laughs> If I'm really attracted to someone, but we're pretending we're cousins, is that weird? <laughs> Sorry, what state is that legal in again? Got you. Let's go, though. What, what Kryptonian law <laughs> says that cousins can't marry? True. So, you know. I mean, they're not really cousins. <laughs> so, that seems okay. Many happy returns. The conclusion, hail and farewell. As Kara falls into Lord Xenon's hands, the Spectre tells Linda she has no choice but to return to her own timeline. All that was, all that ever will be, will cease to exist if she does not. Linda tells the Spectre that her daughter lives on, or no deal. He agrees, and after allowing Linda one last hug with Ariella, they disappear. 
Time's focal point, Kara Zor-El, is listening to the raving of Lord Xenon. A supergirl from some reality sent him spiralling into the past and trapped him there, thanks to the sheer power of the S-Shield. See, the shield is particularly powerful when wielded by one who understands that power, but throughout time, only the female Wurras have investigated it. However, Xenon wants to kill two supergirls at the same time, but Linda's disappearance vexes him. Before he can pry the information out of Kara, Supergirl White arrives and kicks him across the room. He seems both surprised and delighted that his two greatest enemies are in fact one, but Linda has no idea what he's babbling about. Xenon tells Linda that he sees everything she will ever be. Sadly, here, now, when she will never be it. Linda points out the futility of this dance they do, but Xenon continues to taunt her. But Linda realises... Xenon is afraid. And with that knowledge comes power. Linda tapped into the darkness because Xenon was right. She is not human. And as Xenon dies in a golden firebolt, something in Linda dies as well. Suddenly, they are back where we began at Kara's rocket ship. The skies are still crimson. Against her every will, Linda punches Kara and places her unconscious form in the rocket ship. The Fatalist arrives to tell Linda that, to Kara, this will all be as a dream. Linda punches him in his smug face. Lying on the floor, he responds to Linda's question of why, with, it was worth a try. Linda, emotionally numb, sees her daughter in the future, and Kara in the past. A past not her own, but a life, nevertheless. Drained and no longer capable of anything, she boxes up her costume and other mementos and delivers them to Clark and Lois with a letter. A letter that tells them not to mourn nor look for her. It was a good run. 80 issues. Remember her fondly. No regrets. Oh, The end. Uh, Linda and Clark's daughter, I think, is the Supergirl of the One Million crossover? Alright. Is that right? You've read One Million more recently than me. If we have a, a quick look back at the last issue, is that not... Is that not the one million Supergirl? I don't know. I don't it, remember it either. Be. Yeah, I, I mean, it doesn't say anywhere, but I presume it, it could be. Um, Lord Xenon never really rises above the level of a typical Peter David bad guy. He's funny and a bit mad. But as we've mentioned throughout this episode, I didn't give a toss about him. I wasn't interested in who he was. I wasn't interested in his motivations. He just never engaged me as an interesting villain. Hmm. And he, he didn't get you either, did he? No. So, it's not just me then, in this particular situation. The parcel Linda sends Clark is her costume and her skateboard from the cover of the very first issue. Although, why does, why does Lois look shocked in the last panel? T- when she says, a friend. Hey, Lois, have you ever seen a snake smile? <laughs> have you ever seen a skateboard before? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I didn't get why Linda seemed... Linda, Lois seems shocked by that. I know, yeah. What did you think of this last issue? Um, I thought I would have gotten more out of it if I'd actually read Supergirl. Um, because it was very much, the ending was very much a goodbye note to its readers. Yes. And I wasn't a reader. I'm only reading this last story arc, so a lot of it meant nothing to me. Um, I think it worked both. It, it worked as a kind of an ending to this story. It works better as an ending to the series. Yeah. I will grant you that. It does work as an end to this story arc. It's deeply tragic. It's often downbeat. 
which is a shame because for the most part this has been a celebration of the fun inherent in old comics and it reads very much like with the cancellation of the book Peter David was forced to change the ending Mm. and his dissatisfaction with the situation bled into the final product yeah it's by no means disappointing but it doesn't feel like the ending that this story was building to over the previous five issues I mean that said I'm hard pressed to recall the last time I read something from DC that was this enjoyable yeah it was simply a pleasure to read it was the perfect comics blending of art and story it did something only comics can do it took from the past to enhance its future and it did it with aplomb but I didn't feel that issue 80 was the conclusion that he had in mind when he wrote issue 75. I mean, I don't know how quickly the cancellation notice came down, Mm. and my understanding was it was still selling quite well, but this is is the dawn of the era of Didio. Yeah. And Didio came in with this very definite idea that he wanted all of the characters to be back to their iconic versions, and the iconic version of Supergirl is Superman's cousin. Yeah. So that meant there was no place for this. And it's easy to be pithy about it, but the cancellation of this and the cancellation of Young Justice and the cancellation of Batman Gotham Adventures all in the same month, Mm. it very much seems like this was the end of the being allowed to be any fun in the DC Universe. Yeah. You think I'm being a bit unfurther? Which is funny considering how popular the Young Justice cartoon was. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and to be fair, Didio's right. This version is complicated to explain. Yeah. Much more difficult than she's Superman's cousin. So to give him his due, he's not wrong. And it's unlikely we'd be getting a TV version about the Matrix version of the character. Mm. So it's kind of hard to argue with his decision, but the cancellation of all those comics in the same month that Didio starts coming to power it's kind of not difficult to make the correlation between the end of the fun DC universe. Yeah. Largely. I mean, there's been fun since, I suppose. Mm. But you're in, you are into now the era of Jeff Johns and ripping limbs off. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. You know. Peter Davis' run on this book is one of DC's hidden gems, and it's, it's worth investigating if you've, you've never read it. Because by and large, other people would leave Linda alone. She appears in the Rain in Hell series, but that wasn't written by Peter Davis, so I've never read it. David has pretty much confirmed that the character in his creator-owned series, Fallen Angel, was Linda, or as much as he could confirm it without DC's lawyers getting involved. Um, as we've mentioned, Jeanette Kahn disappeared, left, during this story arc. Dan Didio starts his ascension to the top position, and he has publicly stated his dislike of both the Matrix version and Linda Danvers' version of Supergirl. And he just seems to have had a mad-on hate for Peter David, generally, because he cancelled this and Young Justice in the same month. I mean, whether that was his decision, if we have a look at the back, what is he at this point? Dan Didio, VP Editorial. So, I suppose he is, if he's Editorial Vice President, does he choose pick and choose the books? Are we laying the cancellation of this at his feet? I don't know. It's, it's it's not really for us to call that because we don't know. Mm-hmm. But it's I never will. I never will. Possibly. Very true. Do you like it? Yeah. Was it a good choice? Uh, Off the wall choice. Yeah. 
because there was any number of Supergirl stories I could have done I thought it would be fun to cover some Silver Age stuff mm. and then I thought well we kind of did that when we did Happy Birthday Superman and we'd, we'd spent a couple of episodes in the 60s didn't we yeah and I thought I did remember Didio being vehement that this version of Supergirl just didn't exist right. and that kind of stuck in my craw but <laughs> so it was more a case of let's do some of Peter David stuff and prove that it does exist and that it was good Comics should be good. And not have Xenon in it. Yeah, other than that. Yeah. For the most part, I mean, this is in trade paperback, but it's quite hard to get hold of. The rest of his run has never been reprinted. Right. Apart from a trade paperback at the first eight or nine issues. Right. But by and large, they seem to want to forget that this ever happened. Did, did he all buy them all just so no one else could? And burned them. Yeah. <laughs> and burned them all, yeah. Next time on an all-new episode of Hey Kids Comics, our hero from the comics destined to head to television is Luke Cage, hero for hire. Sweet Christmas. Sweet Christmas. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only, and no infringement is intended, so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us as we have no money. Certainly this show was not turned into a lucrative revenue stream, as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them, and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com, and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. say podcast promos. some friends so that's nice could you be any more patronising <laughs> thanks love
crowd doubled over with laughter. I don't know why. <laughs> now they're crying with laughter. Why are you all crying with laughter? <laughs> anyway, should we should we should we go back to the show? <laughs> well, we're not going to top that, are we not? <laughs> 